God is worthy of our very best. Amen? All right, but let's try that one more time. God is worthy of our very best. Amen? Amen? And so the whole umbrella overarching thought behind Romans 12 is in view of God's mercy, of his love for us. This is found in verse 1. You offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to him as your spiritual act of worship. Verse 2, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but what? Be renewed, transformed in your mind. And so the whole idea is when you recognize that you are hell bound, but God's love and mercy and grace, that gospel message takes hold of your heart and you think about it and it resonates in your soul and mind, you can't help but to live life differently and to give him more. So we've been trekking through certain commands. And so verse 11 and 12 is based on that thought. Because of what God has done, now we live life differently. So what are the two things that we want to talk about? The first thing, if you look at verse 11, is going to be serving the Lord with passion. Serving the Lord with passion. This is Stephen Charnack. He has a quote. I love this. He says, nothing is so great an enemy to true Christianity as ignorant and misguided zeal. Right? Because not all passion or zeal is good. If, it's, if you're passionate about the wrong thing, or if you're passionate and committed to something that does not deserve it, it's foolishness, isn't it? And this has been you know, evident in my life so many times when you get passionate about something, you know, like golf. Okay, I know some of you guys love golf, so I'm sorry, but you know, you're like, love golf, and so like, what do you do? You spend all this money, you're committed to it, you're going to the range, hour upon hour. Excuse me, I know some of you really love golf, but it's foolishness. <laughs> if you really think about it, or maybe in, in my own life, I've seen it in many, many different levels, and this is one level. I was really passionate at one point in my life in this. <laughs> and you guys know what this is? Anyone? Street Fighter 2, right? This is not Street Fighter 1. This is Street Fighter 2. It's the best Street Fighter that ever existed, right? And so every dollar that I had were changed into quarters, and I spent every quarter that I had on this game. I got so good that I could play any character, and I'll beat you. <laughs> that sounds so prideful, I know, but I was proud of stuff like that. And it got to the point that I played it so much that even when I would close my eyes to sleep, I would see the characters fighting in my head like Hadouken, you know, like Yoga Flame, and I would just see it. And see, this is what happens when you become passionate, you start giving time, energy, mind, space, and heart. And you become committed to it. And the thing is, is that it's okay to like certain things, but does those passions does this take precedence over passion for serving God? And the answer should be absolutely no. But sometimes there's a fine line. You know, I went to Gordon-Conwell for my THM studies. During our first student orientation, the president of Gordon-Conwell, he stood up and he kind of addressed us, the students, and this is what he said. He said too quickly, talking about the church and Christians in the culture today, we often, without struggle, trade making history with making money. Substitute building a life with building a career, 
sacrifice living for God with living for the weekend or for friends. In the end, we forego significance for the sake of success, pursue superficiality of title and degree, house, car, rank, and portfolio over a life lived large for God. We literally become saved, but not seized. Delivered, but not driven. And see, the idea is if you know the mercies of God, Paul is saying you will be driven and passionate to serve the Lord over many other of the likes and the loves that you might have currently in the world. And so your life changes. So we're going to be looking at these two things. Let's look at verse 11 in detail. The first thing is do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. I want to point your attention to that last word, Lord. And I think that's very profoundly used because that means master and that we are his servants. And so that he is priority number one. If there is a king and the servant comes and the king's like, can you give me water? How did the servant respond? Oh, it's closer to you. You get it, right? No, you don't do that because he is master. And so we serve the Lord because he is priority number one king, rightful king of our lives. And so the main idea here is that we serve him. Why? Well, I want, let's take a look at Titus 2.14. It says this. Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself, what? A people for his own possessions, that we are his, who are zealous for good works. He's our master, and so we serve him. We are his. Now, the first two statements explains how we are to serve the Lord. The attitude which we serve him, which is we do it not lazy, but with passion and fervency. That word fervent in the spirit, it literally means to boil. But it's very interesting. He says to be fervent in spirit. And what he's saying there is that you get fervent. Your growth and passion for the Lord happens when you stay close to God. And Holy Spirit works in your life to build that up. The reason why that's important is because when we talk about passion for God, you shouldn't go home and try to apply this by saying, you know what, I'm going to try to conjure up passion in my own life for the Lord. You can't do that. It's not very natural. Like, you can't just give yourself a pep talk like, yeah, today, be passionate for the Lord. That's not how it works. What you do is you spend time with God, and when you do, the Holy Spirit works and boils your passion for Him. That's what it means to be fervent in spirit. This is what Leon Morris says in his commentary. It is important that the human spirit be on fire, but Paul is not referring to something that occurs by some natural process, but as a result of the indwelling spirit of God. So we are to passionately serve him. I want to challenge you. If you're not serving in the church, one of the ways that you can start by really doing this is by serving in the church. God loves the church. He calls it his bride. So you should get involved and it pleases the Lord. And to be honest, it really helps us grow in our own spiritual life. And so you should serve the church if you're not involved. And you're like, you're the pastor. That's why you're saying that. 
I'm not, okay, I am the pastor. And, but more importantly, it is really good for you to get involved because it helps you to grow. And God has gifted you, you are the body of Christ, and for us to function properly, you are to serve the Lord by getting involved in his bride. And then also, it's not only the church. If you only serve the church, but you're absent in your workplace and at home, you're not really letting God take hold of everything. And you're not just serving the Lord throughout your whole life. But a good place to start would be the church. So, just a little plug. We have many places you can serve, okay? If you love children, if you love worship. I don't know if you noticed, but most of our worship we've been trying to use is our worship team. Anyone sing well in here? All right, thank you for your humility. Um, because if you did raise your hand, I'd be like, maybe you don't really sing well. Maybe it's that American Idol factor. But if you do, if you're like, you know what? Yeah, it's not easy to get involved in church. Sometimes it's busy. Maybe you just had a baby, you have two kids, and it's hard. But I'm, I'm telling you right now that once you start giving more and more time to just the things of the world, your passion for his church to serve becomes harder and harder. So start now. Come and talk with me if you would like to get involved. Because we have been saved and we are his possession. And if you don't serve the Lord, we have to be careful because we might be just serving something else that is not as important. Number two. Another area of your life that will change if you just focus on the gospel message is this. Verse 12 that you will joyfully, prayerfully, and patiently lean on God when tough times come. It says this, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Uh, I'm just going to be completely honest. This is probably one of the more difficult commands in all of the Bible, and it shows up multiple times, to have joy when you have difficulty in your life. Now, just because you love God, just because you serve him, doesn't mean you are exempt from the difficult trials of life. Isn't that true? And you know that. If you've lived any period of your life, you know that difficulties and trials come even when you love God and you know he loves you, but we are never promised that we would be free from trouble. It even says in Psalm 23 when he talks about he's really our good shepherd, one of the areas that he talks about is that you will go through the valley of the shadow of death. The promise is that he's just going to be there with us. So difficulties will come. But in light of that, the command is to have joy. Isn't that hard? I don't know about you, but if I'm going through something difficult, then let's say like Yvette comes up and says, hey, you know what, Pastor, just have joy. I'd be like, mind your own business. You have joy. Okay, because my thing I'm going through right now is really hard. So it's, it's not... Like this, you know, it, this is really tough. But the reason why the Bible tells us to have joy, if you look at verse 12, it says to have joy and to rejoice in what? What's that word? In what? Hope. For the Christian, we all have hope. And see, hope is not this like, oh, maybe it will happen. It's like, I hope the Dodgers win. No, it's not like this, like, oh, I don't know, maybe. When the Bible talks about hope, it is a biblical certainty. It is secure in Christ. And so what it's talking about is that even though our life might go up and down, when this life ends, God has eternity with him secured for all of us. Amen? 
I don't know about you, but I look forward to that day. And it's going to be wonderful, and nothing can change that. Nothing can shake that. And so we have hope. And so when we go through trials, but when we think about eternity and we realize this is not our home, it reminds us that, man, I can have joy even when it gets tough. Not only that, you can have joy because it's not an accident that you have difficulties, that God can use that to shape you into the likeness of Christ. Uh, this is not in our verse, but it comes from James chapter 1, so if you would just take a look there briefly. It says this, verse 2, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. That various means multicolor, different sizes for different lengths in your life. Some will be very difficult, some will be maybe a little easier, some will be for months, some will be for years. But you can have joy. Why? Verse 3. For you know, this is, you're, you know, you're certain of this, that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Meaning, what James is saying is, look, you can have joy when you have various trials, because there is a testing of the faith that God is doing in your life to make you complete Lacking in nothing. He wants to make you into the likeness of Jesus. And so the difficulty, God can use that to shape us. And isn't it true that, I don't know about you, but in my own personal life, the most difficult trials that I've gone through is when I've grown the most, right? And you, you know, you might be like, why can't I just learn it without going through the trial? Because we're stubborn. Well, I'm stubborn, right? Like you don't learn it until you actually go through something and you're like, yeah, you know? I was a prideful person, and God needed to humble me. And so God does that to work and teach us. And so it's not on accident. So we can have joy because there's hope and because God is doing a work in our lives. And so we stay patient and we stay prayerful. You know, um, I want to encourage you, if you are going through a very difficult time, you need to be constant in prayer. Because when you pray, you stay glued to God. Your eyes are focused on God, not on the circumstance, right? A lot of times when you just get overwhelmed by the circumstance and you focus on that too much, you just get shaken and you get rocked. But when your eyes are on Jesus, joy, hope, it rises. Uh, let me give you a biblical example. Do you remember when Jesus is walking out in the water? And Peter is weird, right? He wants to walk in the water with Jesus. So Jesus says, come. And do you remember that story where Peter is walking on the water and when his eyes are focused on Jesus and not on the rocky waves around him, he's fine. But as soon as he turns his eyes and he recognizes the rocky waves and the circumstantial difficulty, what happens? Fear creeps in and he starts to sink. And that's what happens in our life. See, if the tribulation and the difficulty is great, that much greater you need to be focused on God and being prayerful for the person that is struggling or for you if you're going through that trial. So the idea is to serve him. And as you serve him, difficulty might come, but you stay prayerful and you stay joyful and you lean on God and you continue to follow the Lord and obey him because of his mercy and his grace and his gospel message to us. Amen? Um, there's this wonderful story about a 12-year-old girl 
Her name is Jessie Reese. How many of you guys have heard of her? Anyone? Well, at the age of 12, uh, she found out that she had an inoperable brain tumor that showed up. Uh, I don't know about you, but when I was 12, I was pretty immature. <laughs> and so I don't know how I would have responded to it. Something like that. She uh, responded with joy. She responded not just questioning God. She responded with faith in God. And not only that, the amazing part of the story is that she started to not just focus on her, but she started to serve other people. Because of her love for God and her desire to serve the Lord, she started to serve other people that were struggling. I want to just share her story a little bit, just to encourage you, because maybe you're going through something and you're like, I don't know, God can't answer. I'm going to tell you right now, I don't know how difficult it is. You can have joy and you can still be focused and have hope and live life until you pass from this earth fully for God, because he is our master Lord. So take a look. 2011 started off like any other year, but everything was about to change. The tapestry of the Reese family changed forever on March 3rd, 2011. That was the day that Stacy and I were told that Jesse has a brain tumor. Sometimes doctors can be a little dry in their delivery, and it was just so, Jesse has cancer and you have 12 to 18 months, I'm sorry. Faced with this devastating news, their lives were quickly overtaken by doctor's visits, tests, and treatments. Because her um, cancer was not something that could be treated in terms of cured, they put us on a clinical trial. And that clinical trial consisted of 30 rounds of radiation, followed by a daily dose of chemotherapy. And so we would get her in the car and drive up to Children's Hospital of Orange County. She would go into radiation, and radiation was hard. But she never once complained. She didn't. With all that Jessie was going through, you could understand if she felt like giving up, or if she wanted the focus to be on her own needs and worries. But instead, in one instant, Jessie revealed what she was really made of. About two weeks into the treatment plan, we were getting in the car and driving out of the parking garage there, and Jessie was sitting in the back seat, and my wife Stacy was next to me. Jessie said, Mom, Dad, when do all the other kids come home? And so I remember pointing at the third floor of Children's Hospital of Orange County. I said, honey, there's lots and lots of kids that actually have a different treatment plan, and they spend days and days and months, and unfortunately, some spend years in their treatment there. The next words that she said have literally changed her life because she's like, then how can we help them? And it was like, what did you just say? And I remember looking at my wife because she's fanning her eyes, trying not to cry because our, our whole family has been torn apart. We're, we're in chaos. And Jesse's saying, let's help the other kids. I want to know that you can like brain someone's day and make it better. Jesse and her dad delivered the first batch of toys to the children's hospital, but first were asked to replace the bags with plastic jars. And after seeing the look on children's faces, Jesse knew she had to do more. More toys, more jars, more joy for children. She also needed to give her jar a name. That weekend, we sat around as a family, and Jesse's middle name was Joy. 
And so we took joy in jars and it just created joy jars. And so began Jesse's Joy Jars. Word quickly spread to other hospitals. Soon, the requests for Joy Jars began pouring in, and Jesse was determined to fulfill every one. What an amazing story, right? Now, unfortunately, uh, she passed because uh, she had a second brain tumor. But every single day, she lived in joy and serving others. It's amazing. I started to do some more research, and I found out that her father is a pastor at Saddleback Church because I wanted to find out why, why she was like this, right? But it really is because of her faith. And so she has a little website you can check out, and this is what she says. She says, you know what? I love God with all my heart and love going to learn about his love with my family at Saddleback Church. My daddy is a pastor there, so we get to park close, which is really nice. It's a pretty big place, but the teachers are really great. You know, this is what it looks like to serve the Lord and to make him number one, regardless of what happens. You know, and you hear this a lot, like, and I think the, the natural response is going to be like, well, Pastor John, I'm busy. You don't know my schedule. Or you don't know my circumstance. And maybe I don't, but God does. And still... He knows, and he still calls his people to live life in this way. Because we live not for this world, right? This is not our home. We live for eternal things. We live, we live for things that matter beyond the circumstances of just today. So the question I ask is, what are you passionate about? Are those things taking precedence over passion for serving God? And secondly... If you are going through a difficult trial, are you joyfully leaning on God and prayerfully going to Him? I pray that those two things will become a reality in your life. Ultimately, because God loves us so much, we desire to live life for more and to live it differently. Let's pray together. God, we just thank you that you are our Savior, our Master, the one that loves us so dearly. And really forgive us when we become so passionate, so zealous for things that are secondary and tertiary in light of eternal kingdom things. And there are many times, even in my own life, when I am slothful for the things of God and zealous for the things of the world. If that's us, Holy Spirit, we just come and we ask of you to just transform us, move in our lives, to shape us, to give us the discipline, to boil for the things that matter. And also just for those that are going through a difficult trial. We just come and we ask of you to remind us once again that you are that good shepherd that is next to us. And for us to joyfully and prayerfully go to you more, God. So we just thank you that you are that loving father that is available to us in that way. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.